Welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. makes himself present to us, how we recognize him. Uh, And I want to focus on this encounter of uh, Nathaniel with with Jesus, early in Jesus' ministry, uh, with the question in our minds is, what did the words that Jesus used uh, in speaking to Nathaniel, and what Nathaniel's words. What did they mean to the disciples and what do they mean to us? So just the conclusion of today's reading from the Gospel. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want to try to cover three topics. Apologies. (laughs) (laughs) This morning. Uh, First of all, Kingdom, and I want to unpack the word kingdom of God. First of all, the word kingdom is both a place, a place, and a relationship. Secondly, Israel's need, Israel needs a king like the kings of the other nations. What's that all about? And then thirdly, Nathan recognizes Jesus as king. What's going on here? So, first of all, kingdom as place and relationship. Uh, And I'm glad there are some young people here, because I like to ask questions. And if you put your hand up, I would be glad to hear uh, your answer to these questions. And uh, after, after the youngsters have had their opportunity, if anybody else wants to chime in, they are welcome to do so. So, um, where, what? is the place. Where is the kingdom of God? You guys first. Where? Heaven. Heaven. Okay. Any other options here? Yes. Everywhere. Everywhere. 
I were a political polar, I would, I would want to uh, scan all of you now. Um, in fact, why don't we do that? I think this would be fun. And not only fun, but this is really important because we use these words in our worship and in our Bible study all the time. But often we don't stop to say, what do you mean by the kingdom of God? So let's see. Where, let's, how many hands for the kingdom of God is heaven? Two, three, okay. All right, how many think that it's here, everywhere? Very interesting, very, very sophisticated, all right. <laughs> all right, well, uh, on this business of plagues, uh, I, I would, I would, I, I, actually we need to define heaven. Well, I, I didn't have this in my notes, but it's absolutely, Essential. Let's let's start with heaven. Where is heaven? <laughs> no, yes, it's you. Heaven is someplace, isn't it? Or or not? Okay. Brothers to hell. Out there. How how far? Uh, like, like really far. Really far. <laughs> Yes. It's another dimension. Another dimension. Oh gosh. Is he a physicist or a philosopher? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I, okay. Let's, so let's get clear on, on heaven, first of all. Now the, the pagans, like with all apologies to you, the pagans think um, that heaven is up there and it's very far away. And why is heaven important? Is heaven important? Yes. What, who said that? Oh, okay. <laughs> My friend, theologian. Yes, why is heaven important? Because it's where God is and we're all going to go there eventually. It's where God is, right? And we're, we're hoping that we'll all go there eventually. Right. Okay. But we're not there now. No. Because we're still alive. We have to kick the bucket first. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, is, is getting to heaven something like Christmas and that you uh, God keeps a list that you've been naughty or nice? No, it doesn't keep the list. Oh that's a okay. There are certain qualifications we understand, but I'm not going to go into that right now. So, so the, the, this, Nadia, with, with all due uh, appreciation and sympathy, this is what most people think, is that heaven is very far away and we don't have to worry about it until we're about to kick the bucket. I mean, leave this world. <laughs> so, but we better have our theological house in order by that time at least. Um, is that how the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that how they use the word heaven? No. <laughs> and and, and Nadia, we're, 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 most of us are pagans in this regard. We think that heaven is very far away and it's only of real consequence after we leave this world. And this, this philosophers, is Platonism. It's paganism. It is not biblical. <laughs> So get over it, please. <laughs> heaven 
It's the place of God. It's where God is right now. So heaven and earth both exist right now. And they're both here. And as one wonderful theologian said, heaven and earth overlap and they interlock. Now, I want you all to do that, please. Heaven and earth overlap and interlock. Overlap and interlock. And whenever you use that word or hear that word, I want you to do it. Well, overlap and interlock. Uh, God is here right now. The problem is with us human beings for various reasons. We um, lose our sense of connection with God's realm, where God is, where heaven is right now. And we think that we're here all by ourselves. And that is so sad. And we get into a lot of trouble that way. So um, stay tuned. We'll, we'll go further into this in, in, in a moment. But right now, I want to get clear on um, the kingdom of God as a place here and now. And I have to agree. Young man, tell me your name. Evan. You're Evan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, can we bestow a PhD on him right now? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> Heaven is, is, is the whole world as we know it. And uh, for the metaphysicians and philosophers and engineers, people like that, uh, it's the whole cosmos, but that's practically incomprehensible to uh, most of us. So it, it, but heaven is, is a, as a place, is everywhere. It's everything that exists. Uh, and the kingdom of heaven is God's sovereignty over his whole creation. And uh, what so many of us students of the Bible seem to miss is that this is what's stated right up front in the book of Genesis. Uh, and uh, you may have heard this all before. Uh, all, it's all had. You know, the creation of the world in six days um, concludes with on the seventh, the creator of the universe uh, takes a nap because he's exhausted after all this work. Right? No. No, but who said no? <laughs> but you're right. The creator of the universe gets tired, needs to take a nap. What's going on here? We have a problem. He just rested from creating. He what? He just rested from creating. He's done from creating. And then what does he do? Now this is what uh, I was just very excited a little while ago. He creates people. He, that's the kind of uh, yes, but that's not what it means when it's when the text says and God rested on the seventh day. And this is what's so hard for us to get unless we are really uh, scholars and <laughs> read widely and know that the connotation of the word rest is not to take a nap, and it's not a reference to inactivity. But it's what a king does when he sits upon his throne. When the king takes his place, he rests and he presides over his kingdom. 
And what the first chapter of Genesis is, is a ceremony for the dedication of a temple. And it's based in form on the literature of the ancient world. Uh, we'd have to check with Morgan on this, but I, this is a roughly 5th or 6th century BC. It's relatively late. I don't think oh, Moses did not write Genesis. It's a later document. It reflects the culture of the ancient world, probably around the time of the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. And it is a fantastic, a wonderfully creative a way that the Jews uh, spoke to their neighbors in a way that they could understand using a form, a worship form, where uh, the construction of the temple takes six periods, six days, six acts, and then on the seventh day there's this huge ceremony, a great procession, and all the people go up in, take, they, they lead the king up into the temple and he takes his place on the throne. From there, he presides over his whole kingdom. So this is what Genesis is saying there. And uh, frankly, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's not about the creation of the physical world. It's about the ordering of the physical world so that the world is a suitable place for human life. And God, the creator, takes his place as king after bringing order out of chaos. So this is this wonderful uh, picture, uh, you might even say video, of, of, the, uh, of the creation as Yahweh taking his place as king over all of the visible world, all of the place where human beings uh, Exist. So this, this is a picture of the kingdom of God as place, and it's right there in Genesis. Okay, what about relationship? Now, is, is there anyone here other than Janet who uh, is a British subject? Any, any, or any other kingdom? <laughs> we, we are all rebels. <laughs> uh, but if anyone has the opportunity to speak to Janet, she will tell you that kingdom is, first of all, a relationship between a people and their king. Now, this is, this is huge, and this is uh, something else, again, that we, we lose um, when we just read or listen to the scriptures carelessly. And uh, in Today's reading from the Gospel, we have a, a, a reference, this weird reference, when, when Jesus says to Nathaniel, and you shall see the angels of God, uh, you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God going back and forth. Uh, what in the world is that? Do you know, does anybody know where that comes from, where that story is located? Okay, you, you, you pass on that one. Okay, right. That's okay. Anybody else want to show off? I mean, I, uh, remember the story? Jacob's <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, and I remember uh, a Negro spiritual uh, that gave me my childhood impression of Jacob's Ladder. And I, I hate to say this, but that song is terribly wrong theologically. It, it, 
it concludes, it's, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Every realm goes higher and higher. Well, that's, that's a picture of legalism. That's not a picture of the grace of God. It's not a picture. It's not an understanding of what's going on in that picture. Heaven is, is open. That is, as you remember from the story, Jacob is in big trouble. He thinks he may be about to be run over by his brother Esau, who was not pleased with uh, his relationship with, uh, with Jacob. Um, and Jacob is uh, out of the country uh, sleeping alone, and he has this dream of heaven opening, and he sees the messengers of God coming up and down to where he is. Uh, and in the conclusion of the story, he says, this place is Bethel. And as Morgan would tell you, Beit El means the house of God. And as any Hebrew scholar would tell you, there's only one word for both house and temple. So you can't tell the difference just by looking at them in, in Hebrew. So when he calls, he says, the place where I am is Beit El means the house of God, which is the temple of God, the place, the place where heaven and earth meet and overlock. Heaven and earth meet and overlock and interlock in the temple, the place where heaven and earth are open, connected to each other with the messengers of God going back and forth. So this is the introduction of this hugely important concept that the kingdom of God is also, and I would say primarily for our purposes, is relationship. And Janet would tell you that whatever you may think of the British monarchy, uh, it is very important both politically and emotionally to any real Englishman or Englishwoman. Is that right, Janet? We'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you, thank you for that. <laughs> so, kingdom is both place and relationship. Uh, I should have asked you to put a timer on this, Morgan, because I can stop at any point and, and, and maybe should. Um, but I'm only up to item two, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to go faster, but that's, that's all foundational. All right, so far. I can give you five minutes. I can give you five minutes if five I need Five minutes? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, so second, second general subject, Israel's need for a king. Uh, today's Old Testament lesson is about the call of Samuel when he was just a little kid. And that's a whole subject in itself, and it's, it's an important subject. But I want to call our attention to Samuel as an adult, in fact, towards the end of his life. He was due for retirement. Uh, and he was, it was time for him to hand over his role as, as prophet and judge, which means tribal leader, to the younger generation. But uh, he had let his sons just go wild, and they were abusing uh, the a prophetic priestly role in Israel, and the people of Israel were really fed up with them. Also, they were having increasing trouble with the Philistines, if you know who the Philistines were. Uh, and so the tribal leaders came to the adult Samuel and said, 
hey, Sam, this really sucks. We are getting wiped out in battle, and we need a king that is a military leader who will call us together and give us the leadership in battle that we so desperately need. And, and Samuel says, but, but God is your king. Um, and they, they said, no, we, we want a king like the kings of the nations, military leader. And so Sam has this conversation with, with God. And God says, cool it, Samuel. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as king. Whoops. Uh, but Yahweh says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Uh, I will uh, uh, sanction your uh, selecting a king for my people. And, and we'll go from there. But I have to warn you, Sam, it's not going to be all peaches and cream. It, it, there's going to be some really hard going. Uh, and, and this is the way it's going to work. Uh, you can have a king, but the king has got to remember that he's just my delegate, and he is accountable to me. And uh, we have, we, uh, in, certainly in the English-speaking world, and I would say, yes, anyway, for, in English-speaking world anyway, we have this huge heritage of the concept of separation of powers. The all you political scientists are with me now? So, and, and they appear during the uh, monarchy of David um, as uh, prophet, priest, and king. And the prophet is the guy that is supposed to speak for God. Prophet means mouthpiece. Speaks for God, saying, that, look guys, this is how I see things, and please get in line before you totally mess up everything. That's the job of the prophet. The priest is the person who offers prayer, who is, is responsible for communicating with the creator of the universe and seeing that the relationship of the people of Israel to Yahweh is correct. And then the king, by the way, is the chief executive and the um, in charge of the military or organization. And the, this is the classical or the biblical shape of, of uh, a government that is accountable to the creator of the universe. Uh, there are people, I think, maybe in America that need to get a hold of this idea. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Um, again, so the, the point of today's gospel, Nathaniel recognizes Jesus as king. And so uh, he, when, he cries out, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. What was in Nathanael's mind? You are the Son of God. Now, as um, Morgan told you last week, um, Son of God was a title that had been given to uh, Octavius, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar had achieved the title of being top man uh, in uh, the Roman system, but it cost him his life. Uh, and, in, and afterwards, the, the Senate said, oh, well, oops, uh, this guy really did us a lot of good all in all, so we will elevate him. We will make him a god. So, so Julius Caesar was elevated to the state of, status of God, and since Octavius was his adopted son, then Octavius acquired the title of son of God. So, so the title Son of God, now, 
I don't know if you've done this, but in talking with, well, not just ordinary people, I mean, this is a, this, uh, our, our Muslim friends get really hung up on this. How can God have a son? How ridiculous. Well, come on, guys. First of all, this, in, in the first century, this is a political title. And it means the one who brings law and order to the whole world and makes prosperity and peace possible. That was the connotation of that title. So when Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, he's, he's saying, hey, Rabbi, you really want up uh, 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 Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, meanwhile, was making huge monuments all over the Mediterranean world saying, look what a good boy I am, and aren't you pleased that I'm in charge? So this, this was all uh, in, in the media, so, so to speak, very well known. And then he's, and then Nathaniel says, you are king of Israel. Well, what did first generation Jews think was the job of the king? Military. Military, yes, yes. And if, if, if a son of David, his job is to reestablish the Davidic Empire, which would include what we would call Syria and Jordan, and probably at least western half of Mesopotamia, and, uh, and, and areas to the south. It was a big piece of, of real estate. And, and the son of David, who by the time of the first century, should be a king like David, who was an effective military leader, would unite the tribes of Israel for a successful military campaign. Uh, campaign. And oh, of course, by the way, get rid of those Romans. Uh, okay. So this this is this is probably what was in Nathaniel's mind. We understand even more by these titles now. But let's remember where they came from and that they were originally. Uh, they were originally political, and we mustn't be embarrassed by the fact that the language of the scriptures, Hebrew and the Greek, uh, are, uh, is basically, is initially political. Okay, this, this is the conclusion, hopefully, uh, but it leads to so much more. The kingdom of God is here now. It has already begun. Okay. This is what we need to get a hold of. The, the um, heaven and earth overlap and interlock. And what has happened in the incarnation of Jesus is that the future kingdom has already begun. And we are the six, we are the, the continuation of the, of the incarnation of Jesus. And by the way, do you know what the name of this congregation is? Incarnation. Corpus Christi. Yes, we are the incarnationists. We understand that a congregation or the church as a whole is the body of Christ is the temple of God, is Jacob's ladder. It is meant to be the place where heaven and earth are both present and interlocking here and now. And that's kind of scary, but it's also wonderful. But that's what should be happening 
in the way our life together is being formed. That's the challenge and the gift and the wonder of it all. Amen. Mm -hmm.